Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Orla Director of Government Affairs. Today we have a great interview. We are talking about the Oregon Liquor Control Commission with Steve Marks and Will Higlin from the OLCC. But first, we want to make sure you're getting the most out of your membership. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit you may or may not be aware of. Did you know members get exclusive healthcare discounts from United Healthcare, including up to a 5% discount on specialty benefits? Things like dental, vision, life, disability, accident, and critical illness for fully insured groups, in addition to other discounts, including bundling benefit programs. You can learn more at OregonRLA.org. If you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org, where you can join and start taking advantage of the many growing benefits. And now I'm very excited to introduce our guests. Today we have Steve Marks, the OLCC Executive Director. Welcome, Steve. Great to be here. Thank you. And Will Higland, OLCC Deputy Director. Hey, Will. Good morning, Greg. Welcome to Boiled Down. So we're going to be talking about uh, several issues today. Obviously, uh, Oregon Liquor Control Commission, a big part of our industry and what happens here in the state. I want to start off with a couple of bills that were passed in the 2019 Oregon legislative session here that impacted OLCC and uh, its retailers. Can you talk first, Steve, about uh, the license fee increase and what that means for the future? Uh, So the license fee increase was important to the agency, important to our partners, will enable us to provide more services. Uh, One of the things that we're doing is really looking at automating our licensing functions. Uh, That'll be important to, I think, our licensees out there. Uh, Discussion as we automate is uh, the potential for us to go to two-year licensing. Uh, So that's very exciting. But yeah, we doubled the major fees. They hadn't been increased since the end of Prohibition almost. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it was a a significant increase, doubling of the fees for uh, our modest license fees put us in the middle of the pack of states in terms of uh, rates. So your $400 fee goes to $800 uh, annually. Um, So uh, we hope to put that money to good work. We appreciate um, the support we had out of the entirety of our licensee base in the alcohol industry for the increase. Um, but uh, uh, we've got to p- apply it well for you, and we look uh, forward to working with you and all of our alcohol partners to uh, make that happen. Well, I know our industry in particular, we had members who were very excited about the fact that there was automation talk and software upgrades and uh, the possibility of a two-year license is is exciting as well. It's going to cut down on the amount of paperwork and time that a lot of folks put into that. And so uh, we'll look forward to uh, working together with uh, OLCC on what that might look like in the future. I look forward to it, too. uh, Just want to warn your listeners out there dealing with the state process for the acquisition of IT and the planning of it is slow. Um, So it's going to take us a while. So this isn't going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year. Uh, But we hope to get it rolled out here in the next couple of years so uh, we can move forward and do it uh, efficiently for our partners. Slow and steady wins the race, though, right? There you go. We don't want to rush things. All right, great. Well, how about the the Nexus and Century cards? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that is, describe what it is for listeners and why it was kind of important? Yeah, so these are passport cards for Canada and Mexico. Uh, I can tell you a lot of our licensees uh, uh, wanted to be able to take 
take care of Canadian, in particular, uh, patrons of their establishments, and we went and recognized the uh, Nexus card from Canada. Um, so, and not only that, I had a lot of point, uh, complaints from uh, Canadian citizens regularly on that. Uh, it's a proper form of ID. It's legal in the U.S. to travel here. Uh, fortunately, uh, the legislature gave us authorization uh, for that kind of ID to be legal. So now uh, you're going to be able to uh, card uh, people, look at their Nexus or Century card from Mexico, and uh, be able to let them have a, a drink if they're adult over age 21. So that's really cool for us. It's cool for the industry. Appreciate that the legislature uh, moved forward on this for us and uh, look forward to implement it. We're going to go out and, like we do with all ID training, we'll have a training on what those cards look like so people can identify them and use them uh, to uh, provide for compliance sales. All right. Well, I'm going to bring you in here for just a minute. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what some of the liquor stores are going to be doing in a pilot project uh, that's coming up here real soon. You guys issued a, a press release recently on leader sizes. And can you tell me a little bit about why that happened and what it might mean for the industry? I can. Um, so we're really excited about this program. You know, we were one of the only control states in the country that didn't offer leaders. Uh, we've heard it from licensees and others um, since my time at the Liquor Commission that especially at the licensee level, they'd like to be able to offer liquors. It's more profitable for them from a business perspective. Um, and frankly, um, it's more um, profitable for the state as far as revenue generation um, through the analysis we, we've gone through. The challenges on our operational size is space. Um, so we've opened up this program on a year pilot program. Um, we have some benchmarks to make certain products, um, if they cross that line, are eligible for the program. I believe we have 38 SKUs um, that are eligible. So we have launched the program. Um, it's in place right now. It's relatively new. I believe we've been in it for three to four weeks. Uh, but so far, so good. Uh, but as far as the analysis behind it and what's really going on at the retail level, it's really too early to tell. Um, but all the anecdotal information has been very positive. Um, I know from a licensee perspective, again, they're really excited about being able to offer leaders. So um, we'll see what happens. But right now, everything looks really cool. That's great. Well, it's just another example, I think, of uh, OLCC being innovative and, and keeping up with what's going on and the, the needs of the consumers and the retailers and the licensees. So I, I think that's great. I applaud you guys for that. Thanks. So as we talk about um, more changes to what's happening in the alcohol area. Alcohol server training in particular uh, is important, especially as edibles become more prevalent uh, in the public arena. So what does the future look like for alcohol server training? Um, well, one, we know that's really important to our licensees. You know, there's liabilities associated with uh, service and consumption. You don't know if someone's walked in and had an edible a half hour before they come in or, you know, minutes before they come in. So I think uh, we've got to look at the training and what we can do about that. The fact of the matter is the best technology is really, you know, whether you see the signs of them being visibly intoxicated. Uh, so it's going to be a new world with edibles out there. Uh, so we're going to work closely with the industry to make sure we can do all we can to educate people for what to look for. Uh, but I think it's really a call to, uh, 
keep with the practices you have on over-service and the recognition of intoxicated persons on, on the premises. So the documentation then, the, the log books, those kinds of things, is that kind of what you're referring to in, in terms of the best practices, or are there other things that people need to be looking for? Well, the log documentation always helps, right? That's the place that people and inspectors will go look at what actions you took, what you saw, what you knew. So that's vitally important, um, always. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the whole social consumption and even though it's still illegal, this is social consumption that's happening. Uh, you know, we're not naive at OLCC. It's uh, been happening for some time with marijuana and alcohol use. They maybe step outside the bar and consume their marijuana and come back in. So it's not something you're unfamiliar with, but it's something that now that it's legal, we've got to work directly to control in different ways than we have in the past. So speaking of edibles, uh, we've got uh, CBD oils and CBD products that are out there now. And I know OLCC has recently come out with uh, the guidelines or the rules around uh, CBD. And so, um, Steve, can you talk a little bit about what that is, what's legal, um, what people can do, what they can't do? Yeah, so the brave new world of CBDs is out there. You know, the federal government legalized hemp. Hemp CBDs are what are most commonly interested, people are interested in putting in the marketplace. Uh, the FDA is regulating consumables with hemp. Right now they haven't promulgated rules, so anything for human consumption is generally illegal today. Now, that flies in the face of what you see in every store in Oregon today. Right. Uh, there are consumable CBDs, you know, at the 7-Eleven counters, uh, at Walgreens. Uh, virtually, you can get them online from any place in the world uh, and come to Oregon. Uh, the only thing, the legislature, so this is going to get a little technical, but not too much. The legislature, uh, we have a law in the books that says CBDs are not an adulterant if uh, the CBDs are produced in Oregon and if uh, those products have went through the same level of testing that we test for marijuana, and then you get your certificate of analysis. So all of our bars and restaurants, my own uh, contract agent licensees that sell liquor, that have CBD drinks maybe in their coolers or wanting to mix CBDs into a cocktail right now, uh, those things are, are not legal today. Um, so you need to know that. Uh, we're going to put out some guidance to help people get legal on it, but there's really a narrow path on consumable CD, CBDs. So I'd uh, caution everyone uh, before marketing those uh, kinds of things in their establishments. Um, we're waiting, and I think we'll wait for some time for FDA guidance on this, uh, and then that will make it clear what's federally legal. Great. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a short break and we will be back. Hello, I'm Scott Herson Horde, CEO at GNSA. As you all know, a great recipe is no good without great ingredients, and a meal can be ruined without great service. In payroll, it is exactly the same way. Great prices and great software are wasted without great service. At GNSA, we have a long history of combining great software with exceptional service. And now, through our partnership with Orla, members can add great prices to our offering. To learn more, please contact us at info 
at gnsadmin.com. Welcome back to Boiled Down. We're discussing OLCC and the hospitality industry with Steve Marks, OLCC Executive Director, and Will Higlin, OLCC Deputy Director. And right before the break, we were talking about CBD oils and CBD products. And Will, can you talk a little bit about when the guidelines might be available? You mentioned some uh, training that's coming up. Absolutely. So we have a statewide enforcement training next week um, up in the Milwaukee office, um, and we'll be going over all uh, the criteria around the CBD testing and what's legal and not legal. Um, so we educate our staff first, and then our plan is to formulate formally um, put out information to all the industry so it's very clear and the guidelines are clear and stated well so people know what's expected of them, what's legal and what's not legal, um, so they can feel comfortable moving forward. And eventually those guidelines will be available online? Yeah, so we plan on putting those out on our website. That would be oregon.gov backslash OLCC. Um, so you should probably look for that. Um, I would guess we're training next week, so probably um, the end of next week or early the following week. Great. All right. Appreciate that. Well, sticking with um, cannabis and, and some of the issues related to that, um, currently uh, a property, like a lodging property, for example, uh, would be prohibited from hosting a cannabis event if they wanted to keep their liquor license. They'd have to temporarily give that up and then, uh, I guess, reobtain it. Is that is that correct? And do you see any changes coming in that area? Well, I'm not sure about temporarily giving it up, but it's clear that, you know, <clears throat> we've had liquor licenses. We've generally done the entirety of a premise and establishment, so the whole hotel is covered by the liquor license. Um, so we're looking at you know, having to change that in the future and making it clear, how do you do a temporary event if you have a liquor license? How do we more clearly define alcohol premises now and paying more attention to that in the initiation of a licensing process? Those issues are going to come in front of us as we look to be able to provide what is a uh, a market that uh, some Orla members even have interest in pursuing is how do we do this? How do we keep our legal our liquor license in place and avail ourselves of legal opportunities for, you know, potentially and coming, I think, social consumption? You know, social consumption's a, the brave new world for everyone, but I'll just note that it's happening now in the United States. I went to a, a regulators conference uh, recently, and Ohio uh, provided for uh, sales by their marijuana licensees at an uh, outdoor cannabis event and had designated smoking areas at the event. Um, so um, it's a new thing for the United States of America. Um, it's something that we're approaching here. None of the social consumption bills passed this session, uh, but I expect they'll be back. It's going to be an ongoing topic about how we do that. So how we license for liquor, and how we take care of those opportunities and provide them to our alcohol licensees to be engaged in the cannabis side of uh, opportunity is something that we're going to work on with, with Orla, uh, with all our licensees. Well, that's great. Yeah, we have had uh, questions from members about that. I know it's, uh, as you said, a, a growing segment of the tourism population wants to come here and, and enjoy themselves uh, in yeah. various ways, which includes the marijuana consumption. So. 
Uh, well, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about wine. And there were some wine labeling bills and some other bills around uh, wine uh, production in the legislature. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what happened with those and maybe a little of the backstory behind what that was about? Well, much to my uh, uninformed nature, uh, we had a statute that said <clears throat> Oregon's uh, wines had a higher content level than wines generally regulated by the federal government. And we had some practices on shipments of grape from out of state that were essentially being marketed. So we have a contested case here, but the allegations would be they were marketed deceptively as Oregon wines, and really there were wines produced with Oregon grapes in California. Now, you'd think the wine industry that's been around forever and cares about the uh, the, the vintage, the aroma, and the qualities of the wine inside to great detail uh, would have this down, uh, but we don't in interstate commerce. So uh, Oregon's, uh, particularly the Willamette Valley that's made our sort of Oregon brand around wine, was challenged by this practice. Uh, they wanted to increase our standards. They wanted to increase penalties for deceptive wine labeling and and. So we're in the middle of that. In the meantime, you know, Oregon's created a vast wine industry downstate. There are different warm, uh, warm uh, varieties of grapes being grown. Uh, a lot of those are being shipped to California for production. It's a big part of the wine economy in Oregon. So we sort of have this tension between um, the old, established, uh, elite, world-known Pinots out of Oregon that have made our brand and sort of the production wine economy that Oregon is now very much a part of. Um, so um, that's sort of the essence of the battlefront there. And and people, I think, came to uh, solutions rather quickly in a session without spending as much time looking at how we dealt with this issue. I think there's a lot of middle ground here for the OLCC on legislation that was passed and helping the industry itself. And we've seen this with our listening tours sort of come together, put together a better strategic plan that they go and act maybe in a regular session uh, around what we can do to protect our incredible wine brands in the, that are marketed out of the Willamette Valley uh, and then how we enable uh, still the growth of sort of our production commercial wine base that's primarily coming out of Southern Oregon. Do you see this as an issue in upcoming legislative sessions or is there going to be more talked about? Well, right now, um, I, so to be absolutely clear here, I, I'm hoping that we have a hiatus through February and that there aren't uh, flares put up by either side. Uh, that we work in our lane and do what the legislature told us to do in law and do our work slowly and, and methodically around that and then uh, look to the industry to gain some consensus around those other issues out there. Uh, OLCC, by our statutory authority, could enact some of those provisions. Um, but I think you know more comprehensive changes we need to take place in the uh, uh, next regular legislative session. I think it'll take that much time for this to come together in a friendly Oregon way where we build and work together and communicate together to you know, build up the industry from top to bottom across the board and really have a good strategic plan for the entirety of the uh, industry in law 
uh, that works for everyone. That's uh, our goal. You know, we're not at OLCC looking to stake out territory on our own here. The industry and the legislature need to give us some guidance, but we're definitely going to do the job the legislature gave us. Right. Thanks. So let's talk a little bit about alcohol delivery. A lot of changes coming. Um, we've already talked a lot about CBD and marijuana and some of those kinds of things, but uh, currently a lot of places, restaurants can deliver beer and wine, uh, but there's a uh, obviously a growing maybe uh, demand for spirits to be delivered. And I know that uh, OLCC has a guidebook online around alcohol delivery. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that is and, and what's coming with alcohol delivery? So the OLCC could deliver uh, spirits today. Um, we've sort of set it up as a cumbersome process. you got to go down beforehand and register, and we've got to know you're 21, and then those that you know choose to do it um, um, are, are able to, but you got to take those steps. It's a pretty cumbersome process given today's uh, uh, immediate world of delivery from <laughs> Amazon and, and elsewhere, sure. getting your uh, Grub Eats or Uber Eats uh, along the way. So we're very interested, I think, in the spirit side. I mean, we have an obligation to make money for the state to support spirits growth. So we're looking into how we do that for the OLCC system with distilled spirits. In the meantime, uh, there's a wider movement uh, to provide for accountability. There's a lot of third-party deliverers out there. If it's not your grocery store's employees doing the delivery, then there's no one to hold accountable or yeah. with the major carriers out there. So the legislature looked at that issue, looked at licensing for those third parties that might be involved um, to make it possible. They failed in this session to uh, pull that together. That'll be back. I think that could be back as early as February. I think people are very interested in the convenience model. Uh, it's the way everything else is taking place in terms of commerce in the world. Um, so I expect the legislature to do that. I expect OLCC to be in the business of home delivery um, soon through our agents. Um, and so we'll have to figure out what that looks like. So just like ordering groceries from Safeway or Fred Meyer, hopefully in the near future we'd be able to order our liter of vodka from one of our retail agents and have it delivered then. Yep, uh, that's exactly what we're looking to do. And, you know, for the state of Oregon, uh, it's part of our competitive posture, frankly, with beer and wine. I mean, you know, we can't be left out on the doorstep. Sure, sure. Well, you mentioned um, OLCC and, and the laws that are set up by the legislature and carrying out those laws. And, uh, of course, as a regulatory and enforcement agency, that's a big part of what you do. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your minor decoy uh, program and some of the success you've had with that? Yeah. So since I've been at OLCC, I've been there almost six years now. Unbelievable. <laughs> One, unbelievable. I survived that long, but just a, a, a lot of time. But, you know, our minor decoy program, we've had about an 82% compliance rate amongst all our alcohol licensees on sales. Um, that's good. Um, but I always was kind of, even when I walked in, 82% doesn't sound like something you should, a mark you should be hitting when there's a color box around the miner's license. <laughs> right. Um, so um, the legislature, and, uh, you know, it was uh, there's a contrasting here, and the marijuana industry was making it. When they started off, they started off abysmally. We raised the fines. We got their compliance rate in the 90s. 
Um, hopefully that maintains on that side. If so far, I think it, I know it is. Uh, we're looking to maintain that rate. But the, alcohol, uh, the legislature put in our budget a new benchmark for us for 90% for both alcohol and marijuana. And I think it's a really laudable goal for us. Uh, it's something that we're going to work with, it, particularly the alcohol side of the industry and our licensees to partner on to figure out how we can achieve, you know, another 8% gain. I think it's achievable. It's something we're going to focus on. We may do something uh, and consider doing something with our fines and fees, just moving them up maybe one notch along the way still with the, if you have the uh, uh, detection machines, you'll still get a break on that first one. I think that's clear. But looking at a way to create attention, focus amongst us uh, to get this job done, and I'm looking uh, to the industry to help with this message. I think it's something I know all of our licensees are interested in. None of us want to see alcohol getting in the hands of minors. It's a basic fundamental responsibility of OLCC and of licensors and licensees. So look forward and look uh, to working on that and look forward to engaging our licensees across the state and across our licensee base on that. If I could add something to that, um, one of the things that happened with the marijuana program is we had a lot of our alcohol inspectors transfer into the marijuana program. And so statewide, our resources on the alcohol program have been limited from an inspector perspective. Um, those resources now are full. And so as you talk about minor decoy operations, that's a regular operational thing for us. And so I think licensees will see more of us out on the streets, which I think will help because, you know, you're out of sight, out of mind kind of mentality. But when people are out actually doing decoy operations, I know licensees talk to each other, which is a good thing. Uh, but we'll be out and about um, to make sure that we're hitting that 90 percent. And Will, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar, can you describe the minor decoy program? What exactly it is that they're trying to accomplish? Well, the overall objective is not to serve minors. Um, so we don't try to set anybody up. We're not hiding behind a bush and trying to catch people. Um, we'll have a minor go out with an inspector um, and walk into an establishment, whether it be a grocery store or bar or tavern, and order a beer. Um, the expectation is, is the um, individual will look well under 21. They'll ask for their ID. They show them their actual ID, so it'll have the red square around to notify them that they're underage. Um, so if they follow those steps that they should be following, um, you know, it's a pretty easy process, and then they deny the service. If they actually provide the service, pour them a beer or sell them a beer at the store, um, that's when the violation occurs. And so the, the minor decoy person and the inspector work in tandem together. So going back to the, the training, it's going to be, I think, key as we move ahead with training products and services that that's obviously a big piece of it as well, is making sure that people are compliant with recognizing the red box around the, the age. and Absolutely. I believe that's in our training program now. Um, yeah. So we'll continue to do that. And, you know, and Greg, we've talked a lot about, you know, just philosophically um, where this agency stands today around compliance is we want to educate first. We don't want to be a gotcha organization. We want to educate you. We want to set some standards. Um, and it's like this, you know, we're coming and we want people to know it's our responsibility to protect minors and we're, we've got full resources now and we're going to, you're going to see us out and about more. So it's up to the industry really to respond to that, be accountable to that. And, um, so we can support each other and uh, hit the 90% benchmark. 
Well, I know Jason and I have certainly appreciated the partnership that we've created with OLCC and Orla and uh, working with uh, both of you and the rest of your staff on the issues that impact our members and, and the hospitality industry overall. Um, I want to wrap up with just a couple of uh, maybe kind of fun things uh, to talk about. So uh, I know that um, OLCC has a new magazine. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was featured, I think, on the first cover uh, as part of the Aviation Gin uh, product line there. But uh, Spirited Oregon, what can you tell us about your magazine and, and who your outreach is and what you're hoping to accomplish there? Well, it's really cool. I think we're on a where, where are we publishing now? Three times a year basis? I don't think we're quarterly. Initially, we wanted to go quarterly, but, you know, when you launch something, it <laughs> takes a little work to produce it. Right. Uh, it's paid for, you know, not by us. Uh, they go out and solicit ads to put out the magazine. They do this for several states, uh, which is a great service to us. But it's a chance for us to communicate with our consumers uh, in our through our uh, primarily through our agent stores. Um, and it'll be on the shelf there and people can look at it. So it covers, you know, some of the focus of our regulatory industry, but a lot of focus on, you know, the cocktail culture, on the vibe in our restaurant and bars throughout Oregon. And so it's been a great to be able to feature some of our licensees and some of Orla's activities uh, in that magazine. Um, so we think it's a, a, a good piece for us to communicate with Oregonians about what we do about the culture around alcohol and about the safe service and enjoyment of alcohol throughout the state. So it really celebrates the, the culture we have around that, and uh, we're excited about it. It's been great. That's great. I love to hear that. Well, and let's talk finally about uh, you've got a couple of new commissioners. Uh, Hugh Palsik is one who just started, I think, in May. Uh, and then Keanu Floyd, who is a restaurateur and uh, just started uh, recently, June, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and so um, we're excited to see uh, the commission kind of uh, grow a little bit and get some new folks on board. Anything you want to talk about uh, with regard to those two or anybody else on the commission? Yeah, it's great having Keanu appointed now, someone with a you know clear relationship with our licensee base uh, to be able to represent them. She is the industry representative now. Um, I know uh, the industry was excited about that. We are too. I think you have a strong, devoted voice to help us make sure that our regulations are on track, not too onerous. You know, when you slip at your job, Greg, well, you, Keanu will be there to help out <laughs> along the way. Well, she's going to be busy then, I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely busy. <laughs> but uh, And then uh, Hugh is fantastic, a really smart as a whip, new member, uh, really uh, been a pleasure to get to know him for the short time we've had him on the commission. Uh, he's going to be a, a big intellectual boost, I think, to the commission. He uh, manages uh, Sun River Community, uh, he's part of the planning commission in Deschutes County. He's the east representative, east of the mountains. So uh, very exciting to have new membership, you know. And we've went from five members to seven members now. For my money, that's two or three too many. <laughs> uh, but um, the legislature wanted uh, a greater breadth. And with marijuana regulation, thought we needed more representation. So to that end, they added some membership. And we're excited to, to work with them all. Well, before we let you go, one of the big issues, obviously, here in Oregon is uh, workforce development, economic development, and obviously, you know, the alcohol industry is a big part of that. We're seeing uh, more distillers here in Oregon. Of course, the beer and wine industry has always been huge. 
but uh, as far as OLCC's role and all that, what can you tell us about uh, economic development and the alcohol industry? It, it's pretty exciting, you know, and people, your listeners might not know, I go back to 1985 working for Senate President John Kitzhaber, worked through him through his first eight years as a governor's administration. I've been around sort of the development of our new craft industries throughout Oregon when the wine industry came up, craft beer. Uh, and, of course, you know, the importance of our licensee base. I spent uh, decades in the legislature trying to create rural jobs. And today, when you look at what we regulated at OLCC, we're creating jobs all over the state through our licensees are creating jobs. We're enabling that. And it's really sort of exciting to be part of this growth and job development in rural Oregon. You know, no one had the magic sauce to be able to do that. Between the marijuana industry, the wine industry, our licensees that are... Uh, working in hospitality around tourism and bringing people to the communities. Uh, our culture here that we've developed around craft and the foodie culture, it's really exciting to be a part of this in, uh, industry in that we regulate it, but enabling it through what we do and, and celebrating it as we can and making sure that uh, we all do it safely and we have a great entertainment economy throughout Oregon. That's great. Well, it is obviously very important, and especially for uh, rural Oregon, who tends to um, not have as many resources as some of the more urban areas. So anything that we can do to foster economic development, I think, is is huge. So, Steve, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Steven, with an N, dot marks, M-A-R-K-S, at Oregon.gov. Uh, send it to me directly. I may not answer directly, but I will get you answers if you send that. And appreciate uh, being able to utilize it to provide access. Sure. And Will, how about you? Uh, it's will.higlin, H-I-G-L-I-N, at Oregon.gov. Great. All right. Well, gentlemen, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll come back with the Advocacy Watch. Get your staff trained and certified for serving alcohol by Oregon's highest quality training provider for the hospitality industry. Orla provides easy to follow interactive online training that is valid statewide for five years. Employees can get the state mandated alcohol server training they need on their schedule and now for only $18. Go to OregonAlcoholServer.com today. Welcome back. It's time for Advocacy Watch. This is where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. Joining me now is Nicole Peterson, our Portland Government Affairs Coordinator. Hello welcome. there. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. So we're going to talk real quick uh, about Senate Bill 1019, which uh, passed through the Oregon State Legislature this last session, which requires commercial farms with 3,000 or more chickens to go cage-free and prevents the purchase or sale of caged eggs in places such as grocery stores and restaurants starting in 2024. Now, the bill also requires that farms provide enrichments for hens, including perches, scratching areas, nest boxes, and dust baths. The law resembles one recently passed in Washington earlier this year and another which Californians passed with 61% of the vote. So with Oregon joining them, the West Coast now has the strongest laws to protect egg-laying hens in the world, according to the United States Humane Society. At most, it's Estimated it will cost consumers one or two cents per egg, according to an independent assessment, and the farms will have until 2024 to meet those cage-free requirements. 
So it's time for lottery contract renewal, and that means the negotiations are coming up soon. To that end, the Oregon State Lottery has set up some open houses, some retailer forums uh, for lottery staff, including the director, Barry Pack, to come out and talk with our retailers. And Nicole, you've got some dates there that we want to let people know about. Yes. So we've got a few coming up. Four, in fact. Uh, There's one on Wednesday, August 28th. That is at 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at PSU University Place Hotel. Um, That's in downtown Portland. We've got the next one is on Thursday, August 29th. That's from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. That is in Lynn Benton Community College. That's in Albany. Another one will be in Medford. That will be on Thursday, September 5th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, 11.30 a.m., excuse me, at the Ramada Hotel. And then finally, the last one will be in Bend on Friday, September 6th. And that will be, again, 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Hampton Inn. So if you're like me and you're listening to this in the car or maybe when you're exercising, uh, we can you can go to our website, OregonRLA.org, and we'll have those dates and locations posted as well. So we, we highly recommend that if you are a lottery retailer, you come out and share your opinion and uh, let your voice be heard by the folks at the Oregon State Lottery about the upcoming contract negotiations. And speaking of meetings... This fall, Orla will once again be holding regional meetings around the state. We do this twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall. And we've got that list, which will also be up on our website for you, but we'll run through those quickly. Monday, September 30th, we will be in Portland. Thursday, October 3rd, we'll be in Ashland. Wednesday, October 9th, we'll be in Albany. Thursday, October 10th, we'll be back up in Portland. Monday, October 14th, we'll be out in Redmond. Thursday, October 24th, we'll be in Hood River. And Wednesday, October 30th, we'll be up in Astoria. And so once again, you can go to OregonRLA.org to find those locations, those dates, and the times that we'll be there. So we had a listener question from one of our standalone drive through establishments regarding labeling on their menu for calories. Is that right, Nicole? Yes, we did. Um, So I reached out to our good friends at the National Restaurant Association, and they confirmed that, indeed, these drive-thrus do need to comply with the federal regulations about uh, menu calorie labeling. Fantastic. So if you are a standalone drive-thru, no matter what food or beverage you might be serving, you will need to comply with the federal regulations. And on your menu, you will need to list the caloric content of any of those food or beverages, correct? Yes. Yes, you will. Um, And if you need more assistance in how you might go about that, um, the National Restaurant Association has hired a consultant uh, who's an expert on this matter. Um, So if you need more information, you can go ahead and uh, contact me, Nicole Peterson. Um, if you want to email me, my e- <laughs> if you want to email me, my email is n Peterson, and that's with an S O N at OregonRLA.org. Great. Thanks, Nicole. And for everybody out there, please keep the emails coming to info at OregonRLA.org. Let us know not only your government affairs questions, but also your opinions and what's going on in your area. 
With that, I'd like to say thank you again to Steve Marks, OLCC Executive Director, Will Higlin, OLCC Deputy Director, and to Nicole from the Orla team for joining me today. I am your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. Thanks for listening.